We wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land we are recording on in Perth, Western Australia. The Wadjuk people of the Noongar Nation. We wish to acknowledge their continuing culture. And pay our respects to the Elders past, present and emerging. In a world where the lives of everyday people are preordained by the script that must be followed, a ragtag team of scamps dare to speak their highly unqualified opinions publicly. They dare to go off script. Unscripted the film show. You're listening to Unscripted the film show. You can't handle the truth. Man, I'm walking here. I'm walking here. Here's Johnny. You're going to need a bigger boat. I'll have what she's having. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Good evening, Unscriptonites, and welcome to another Thursday night. Welcome to Unscripted, the film show. I am Lewis, sitting across from me is Cecilia. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Not sitting in the room at all is Rachel, who's uh, indisposed of the evening. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm going to apologise in advance for the first quarter of an hour of the show. We do have movies to talk about. We do. Uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, June 2, a little film that's coming out this came out this week. Just just a little film. Tiny, tiny film. Tiny it's film. Like, <laughs> blinking your May have heard about it. Um, and uh, what, uh, what uh, films have you got to talk about? I've got a couple of indie films. So one called Club Zero starring Mia Wasikowska, um, probably pronounced that incorrectly, and a film based on... Based on a true story called Four Daughters, so uh, two two indie films that you may not have heard anything about, but uh, very different films. Uh, so yeah, worth uh, checking out if you want to see something that you might not have thought of going to watch. Excellent. Well, uh, the apology is at the start of the show is that the first quarter of an hour of the show may be very heavily about wrestling. And <laughs> I, I apologise uh, to people if you're not into wrestling. I understand it is a, a thing that uh, not everyone uh, is into or understands. Um, but uh, I can't let the uh, the show go without you know mentioning the fact that uh, last week in Perth uh, we became the mecca of wrestling in the world where we had WWE's Elimination Chamber uh, broadcasting out of uh, Optus Stadium mm-hmm. with 50,000 plus fans in attendance and of those 50,000 plus fans in attendance one of those was Cecilia. I know I kind of refrained from talking about it when I first walked in the room it's the first thing I wanted to talk <laughs> about was wrestling but we weren't on air yet so I was like you know what we'll save it for on air because I also know that you got to go and see uh, The Undertaker uh, on Friday at uh, Fremantle Prison. At the Fremantle Prison, um, yes. As yeah. well. So it's, it's a week of wrestling mm-hmm. things was last week. But, yes, I was in attendance uh, at the Elimination Chamber. And, boy, what an experience uh, to behold. It was wonderful. I Look, I didn't have the greatest seats, mm-hmm. uh, but I did have seating where nobody was in front of me, nice. which was good. Mm-hmm. And I had access to see both well, multiple screens. Mm-hmm. There was one on either side of me and one directly in front of me. So, but the atmosphere was just insane. Mm-hmm. So I think given all of that, uh, it was good. And I got to take my brother, his girlfriend and my dad and my uncle. Uh, none of those guys are wrestling fans, but... Were you explaining everything to them? I was, <laughs> but do you know what was so exciting? To see how into it they were getting yeah. and like to see my brother just like chanting <laughs> and I 
think they finally understand my appreciation for wrestling now <laughs> and the athleticism that goes into it. Uh, and, you know, the Elimination Chamber's, uh, you know, awesome to watch. There were a few superstars that came out that I kind of wish... I mean, it was great to see Randy Orton mm-hmm. back out and, you know, there was a... T- I mean, and you watched this live, didn't yes, you? Yes, So did, you've yeah. seen all the action mm-hmm. unfold. There was a brief moment where I thought, crap, he's been re-injured or he's not quite uh, fit, but I think that was a bit of a bluff. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. He did, he did look like he... He looked injured, didn't he? He, he might have been mm-hmm. injured. But that's the thing with wrestling. You never know whether it's a, a shoot, which is true, or mm-hmm. a work, which is a, basically part of the story. So yeah. you, you never quite know. And But these guys are, and women, the men and women of the, the, the wrestling world, are very physical and they just put their bodies on line every time. So mm-hmm. you're never quite sure uh, when an injury is like part of the story or whether it's actually, you know, something that's really happened. Yeah. And I, I've seen some stuff like, uh, you know, wrestled where they've you know gone over the top rope and then they've landed awkwardly and like broke their arm and stuff like that. So injury injuries do happen. But uh, for you, what was the uh, the highlight of the night for you? It would have been when Cody Rhodes uh, came out and Seth Rollins because yeah. the crowd instantly, as soon as you heard uh, Cody Rhodes' music, people know that and they get involved and then there was fireworks going mm. off and obviously uh, both Seth Rollins and Cody Rhodes didn't fight. They were just mm. there for a bit of commentary uh, and a bit of talk. Uh, but I think even the women's elimination chamber was uh, fantastic. I, I really enjoyed watching that. I, it was great to see Naomi mm-hmm. back in the ring. She's been out for a while. Did she go off to she, AEW for no, a bit? No, no, no. She left and went to T- TNA. Ah. Uh, and then she was, I think, I don't know if she was champion or not. I can't remember. But mm-hmm. Yeah, she was there for for a while and now she's back in, in WWE. But I did feel bad for her because her um, entrance is based on like having a like a pitch black stadium yeah. and then it's uh, her whole thing's about glowing. So yeah, feel this, the glow, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And yeah. then she came out in broad daylight. It's like, <laughs> well, her entrance is screwed. <laughs> I did think how they were going to do that. I was like, oh, how are they going to do that? But um, yeah, it was great to see her. I enjoy watching her in the ring and you know she was eliminated first off but yeah good fun watching her but I think the women's elimination match was uh, really good. I think so better than the men's Mm. definitely it was a a real amazing match and the thing that got me and people who don't watch wrestling just go I don't care. Uh, (laughs) Tiffany Stratton yeah. Uh, who's really, really new to WWE, really, really new to wrestling. Um, she came out. She's a heel, which is uh, wrestling parlance for the bad guy. She came out and, like, within the course of a match, just turned the whole crowd on her side. Yeah. Like, people were there chanting her name. They were cheering her on. They were booing when she got eliminated. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, really interesting to see that turn. And it'll be interesting if, like, WWE do, do anything with that or whether. Yeah. They keep like trying to push her as a heel. So, yeah, really, really interesting. Um, yeah, and of course you've got Logan Paul, who everyone booed at. Yes. Uh, and, you know, obviously yeah, Dom Mysterio, who um, people were uh, booing at. I, I don't know how true this is, but there was a brief moment when they were uh, – I was going to say on stage in the ring and the cameras cut very quickly Mm -hmm. and everyone thought, oh, what's going on? And I even turned to my dad and I said, oh, tech glitch. But apparently it was because everybody had their fingers up uh, at um, poor Dom and were saying very naughty words. So they had to cut that. Australia. (laughs) Australia for you. Apparently the whole front row was giving Dom the finger, which is 
ironic because back in the day, Stone Cold Steve Austin, one of his signature things was two fingers up at uh, yeah. his opponents. So, but we are in the in the PG era now of wrestling, so that is a, a no no. None yeah. of that. Do you think people were um, even though WWE had said the Rock's not going to be there? Mm-hmm. Do you think that the crowd was still hoping and just in anticipation of him turning up? One hundred percent. There was I, that was the conversation that was dominating, like sitting there listening. Everybody was like the Rock, the Rock, yeah. the Rock, uh, and you. You know, my dad said he was in the bathroom at one point and um, some guys were on FaceTime with some friends that their rock's going to be here, yeah. we've heard. I knew he wasn't going to show yeah. up. I, I knew. I had a, a funny inkling that The Undertaker may, though, because I thought being already here... Yeah. Would he venture in? But no, not to be. But, uh, yeah, I didn't think The Rock would appear. But, uh, you know, it was a great show. And I've been reading some of the comments about the attendance, which I think is fantastic, but some people saying that, you know, the MCG could feel double that. Um, But, look, Perth, we don't get a lot here. We've missed out on a lot of things, Mm. you know, different artists coming here. So I think, you know what, it was great. The atmosphere was great. Uh, You wouldn't want too many people packed Mm. into a stadium anyway. Well, I I looked at the uh, all-time attendance Mm. and the the attendance there wasn't that bad. Like, no. I think the attendance was on par mm-hmm. with the last WWE show that was in Melbourne. Yeah. So those people who were saying the MCG could have more, no. <laughs> it's it's about the same amount that we had at Optus Stadium. Yeah. So, and it's in Perth. That's amazing. Like, yes. you know, we're a state with, I think, is it 2 million people or 3 million people? I think 3 million. Mm. Um, uh, and, like, Melbourne would have, as a state, would have a lot more people than we do. And we managed to get 50... I think it was like 55,000 plus people into Mm. Optus Stadium. That's an amazing feat. Absolutely. Um, And a a lot of Americans who got up at 5 o'clock in the morning in America, that's usually how we have to watch our uh, pay-per-views. Yes. Um, They not only got to see an awesome show, but they also got to see a lot of uh, WA and Mm -hmm. all the awesome things that they could see if they come here. So I'll be interested to see if there's a flow-on effect for WA and uh, and our tourism, which would be very nice. Yeah, and look, I hope hope the wrestling comes back. It was an amazing experience. Uh, You know, I, I had some friends who managed to get some floor seats who were you know, had good view. But even on the floor seats, you don't have that um, ability to be um, arched in a sense. So Mm. if you get stuck, like, yeah. So I, I, it was all the atmosphere for me. I enjoyed that. And yeah, just seeing the wrestling and enjoying it with people uh, was amazing. The only criticism I have, and it may have been a logistical thing, is that when people did their entrances, that wasn't filmed. Um, So they would have their, obviously their names up. Yeah. on the screen uh, and you could kind of see them walking but they didn't have it filming. Oh, weird. Which was the only criticism I had. Because you could definitely see it on TV. Yeah. Yeah. But apart from that, awesome. Mm. Uh, There was a few people I wanted to see uh, win who didn't and, yeah, I mean... But overall, uh, amazing, amazing. Yeah. Well, un- unfortunately, the uh, like I-, I knew I knew that Drew was going to win the chamber. Mm-hmm. Um, Becky was going to win women's chamber. I knew that Rhea Ripley. There's no way she was losing in, yeah. in Perth. Um, and so the only real like you know potential uh, changes was the women's tag team, mm-hmm. and that had Indy Hartwell, who's another Australian, in the match. Mm-hmm. 
and and then they lost to the yeah, Kabuki Warriors. Yeah, I thought sh- for sure she would um, yeah. win. But, um, yeah, even Nia Jax, I didn't realise, was born in Australia. Sydney, she just, born in um, Sydney. Yeah, but obviously grew up elsewhere. Yeah. So, yeah, real Aussie show. That, that's, uh, to, to me, I would have promoted that as Australian versus Australian. Yeah. I would have gone to town on that. I, I would have too, yeah. but they didn't uh, do that, unfortunately. Um but, yeah, overall really amazing yeah. and, yeah, fantastic to see. And I, the only problem is it just went so quick. Yeah. It just flew by. That's so weird because you were there. You were, What time did you get there, like 5.30 or 5 o'clock? Well, we got there quite early. We mm. got there. We decided we're going to go for lunch. Yeah. So we got there at one thirty. went to the um, Camfield, which is the yeah. pub, mm. thinking it would be – it was quite packed. Mm. Um the good thing about going early was to get merch, though. So, oh, yeah, nice. um, we got some merch, had some bevies, had some lunch, <sighs> and then lined up to go in. So, yeah, and then it started pretty much bang on 5.30. That's awesome because it's a long uh, show, like four mm-hmm. hours long. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's good to know it's like they keep the pace up and it's yeah. really cool. Um, but. Just while we're still on the wrestling thing, I will say, yeah, I did see The Undertaker at the Fremont Prison. Uh, there was 2,700 people there. Whoa! And I thought, because EPW also had the EPW Super Show on at the Wilton Stadium on the same <laughs> night as The Undertaker, I thought, oh, those poor guys, they're not going to have a crowd because everyone's going to be The Undertaker. And they had their biggest attendance yet at almost 900 people. That's amazing. So it goes to show you how many fans of wrestling and stuff there mm. is in Perth uh, that you can get 2,700 2, 2, people at The Undertaker and then 900 people at um, uh, Willan Stadium for EPW. So, that's massive for, mm. yeah, for them. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm so glad that people are um, – and hopefully they can keep that momentum. I look forward to actually, I should talk to Kat about it because I, I think we can watch the uh, Super Show, like stream mm. it somewhere. So I'll look into that because that'll be cool to, to, to watch that. Um, and yeah, but The Undertaker at uh, Fremont Prison, if you're going to see The Undertaker, what better place than a creepy old prison to see <laughs> The Undertaker alive? Um, it, was a, it was a good show, uh, although I think it could have been more polished. Like he could have, you know, when you see Mick Foley live, his show is just, just mm. you can tell he's done it a million times and it's really polished and great stories and everything like that. The Undertaker, you know, I was going, why are you telling us this story? It's kind of, you know, boring and I feel a bit bad for the guy you're talking about. <laughs> but uh, but the uh, it was still entertaining. But the, for me, the best part of the night was before the show started, um, there was uh, this shadow on the wall. It was unintentional, completely unintentional. <laughs> a shadow on the wall, a cast on the wall of the prison. And I went, that's a freaking Undertaker. <laughs> and it was, it was just him hanging out backstage waiting to go on. And it was just like there was a, happened to be a light that was casting his shadow onto the building. And I went, that's awesome. That's cool. Yeah. So that was really cool. Um, but the line for merchandise there was probably about 300 metres long and it never got any shorter. And, yeah, so the WWE made a lot of money out of Perth this past weekend. Well, they sure did. Yeah. But anyway, we better go to some uh, ads and then we'll come back and I promise we'll start talking about movies. Thank you very much to our station sponsors. We really appreciate you keeping the lights on and having keeping microphones in our faces so we can talk to you about films and all those kind of things. Now, I've only got the one film to talk about tonight, uh, June 2, so um, I think uh, I might throw it to you to, to talk about one of your two uh, movies. Why not? Um, I'll, start, I'll talk about Club Zero. Uh, this is a film which stars Mia Wasikowska, who's kind of this teacher 
at a very prestigious school. I'm not quite sure. I think it's American. Teenagers really talk like this and they're just very upper class, very spoilt. Uh, But she runs this class which is all about nutrition and healthy eating. Um, So, yeah, um, what she calls conscious eating, I should say. So at first it's, it's a small group of students and the course seems kind of, you know, not harmful. You know, she just teaches the kids to eat in a conscious way. So avoid snacks and processed foods and, you know, choose smaller portions, healthier foods uh, as well. And not only that, but just to eat more, to eat slower, to kind of meditate as you eat and, you know, be conscious that you are eating and that the way you chew things. So over the course of the film, she starts out with a group of students and some of them drop off because her course starts to take a little bit to the extreme Mm -hmm. when some of her favourite students begin competing by starving their bodies. So who can eat the least amount of food? So, you know, there's this theory that there's this club called Club Zero Mm -hmm. and the people involved in that can survive on light, basically. So being out in the sun Mm. and being energised that way and that food really is irrelevant. So the students kind of go on this journey of really disordered kind of eating habits. Uh, So it's kind of a satire which looks at, I guess, how... And it's interesting because some of the parents in this film of the kids are very, you know, rich and self-absorbed and, you know, hoity-toity as well. So initially they don't pay too much attention, but as things progress, they kind of start to pay attention. It's a bit of an interesting film. I don't even know how to describe the genre uh, other than being, yeah, potentially a satire. I'm not 100% sure what it was trying to say because obviously there's that element of you know, maybe teenagers having eating problems. Mm. But I, I felt like this didn't really, this kind of went beyond that. It, you know, talks about this idea of you not having to eat at all, which we know scientifically is is crap. Obviously, you have to eat to, to be fueled. Pretty sure whenever people have tried that, they've just died. It, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it kind of almost becomes cult-like. Mm, she mm. becomes like this cult leader to these kids who are going to listen to everything she says and they slowly begin to reduce and restrict the amount of food uh, until basically they're eating nothing. And yeah, the way it ends, it's quite unsettling. Uh, you've got the students who continue their diets and then the parents who try to get involved and, you know, try and get this teacher, you know, sacked. Mm. Uh, But the students are so now involved and are almost following her as this leader that they are finding it very difficult to return to their normal selves. And you kind of see the health consequences uh, along with it. So, you know, there's a student, for example, who has, you know, diabetes and we know that, if, you know, he's not eating properly and, you know, taking his insulin, then things can happen. But, yeah, it's it's a bit of a – it's quite a dark film but one that probably shines a light potentially on how disordered eating can – you know, be terrible for your health, but also how it only takes maybe one person or someone who's influential to change your mind about that. It it goes to show that as these poor, young, naive children uh, can be, you know, 
turned mm. and mm. to believe that they need to eat less, which I think is interesting. It's kind of a satire on society and how social media and, you know, certain influences, mm. for example, mm. tell us what and how we should eat. Well, I mean, you just have to look at some of the uh, the things now that kids are into mm. that uh, you mentioned Logan Paul before and he's got a, yeah. a drink uh, that all the kids are obsessed with, which apparently tastes terrible. Mm. Um, but, yeah, those, those kind of things. And as you said, like uh, your know, influencers, they'll go on to YouTube or Instagram or whatever and they'll do something and then all the kids are like following that trend. And even to the point, like, and it's always been the case that, you know, kids will, uh, you know, go after the, the latest, um, you know, singer or something like that. I mean, the Taylor Swift kind of thing is a bit like, crazy, isn't yeah. it? But I mean, the, before that, you had Elvis and the mm-hmm. Beatles and, you know, it's always, it, it's nice not to female in this, this case. So it's, yeah. it's, it's, that's a bit of a change. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's, a, that's the thing. And uh, I think, that the whole not eating thing it, mm-hmm. it can be parallel to like people starving themselves because of the things they see in the media mm. and just going well I, that's obviously what right is and I've got to be all, all thin and skinny and yeah. so I'm not going to eat either and then, then they get you know obviously get to eating disorders so yeah. um, I, I saw this the trailer for this I was kind of interested to see how the film uh, pans out. So would you su- suggest it's a, g- a good film to, to go and see? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting film. It's not quite what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be more a statement on, um, yeah, eating disorders mm. and things like that, but it, it felt more cult-like. But maybe that's the point. Maybe it's trying to tell us that, you know, social media and influences are almost mm. cult-like, if you like. But uh, sorry, I should have mentioned it's actually Europe, not America, that it's set. Oh, and really? It's at, interesting. Um, a very elite... Uh, school, but yeah, I think it, it's this. It begins with this idea of conscious, healthy eating, which I can get behind. Mm-hmm. Yes, we should be, but then it just takes this dark turn towards eating nothing. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, it does. And the ending, I would say, is quite dark. Right, very okay. dark. Not what I expected, and almost very sombre, uh, and very yeah, cult like. But I think you could probably draw different meaning from this film. If you you could sit down and talk about this film for a while and you know you know digest if you like pardon the pun uh, and only you know, if you think about it only yeah. if you think about it yeah. and yeah kind of draw draw meaning but I think for me it's about yeah having somebody who is probably in charge or you know has more power over you telling you how you should be and what to eat and how that's not a good thing mm-hmm. uh, so I think where do we draw the line between telling people how to eat healthy versus you know, unhealthy. So, yeah, I, you know, yes, eat more fruit and vegetable, mm. but eat enough fruit and vegetable. I suppose there's a bit of, um, like, you know, parallels to, uh, you know, these are culty kind mm. of things. I mean, the, the the rise of Trumpism and stuff like that yeah. as well. Um, you know, people, um, you know, uh, uh, like are voting for this guy uh, and it's like, you know, not in their best interest to be voting for this guy. Mm. And it's, it's those kind of weird, or, or indicating they're going to vote for this guy, obviously not an election yet. But uh, it's those, those kind of things where people do things that are actually completely negative for mm-hmm. themselves but they've just got some sort of um, charismatic leader that, that pushes them in that kind of direction yeah um, so yeah it's it's kind of kind of interesting yeah 
Yeah, no, I think you've hit the mark there because it is almost like that. You've got a couple of students who decide to drop out early from this course because they can see the harm mm, mm. That, it, that it's going to do. And then you've got the students who are very strict followers and are believers and who, you know, they won't listen to anybody else. So despite the fact that we know you've got to eat. So, yeah, really, I, I liked the film. It's not going to be for everybody. It's, it's a bit of a tough and weird mm. ride, but uh, worth the shot if you're into, yeah, kind of, yeah, drawing those parallels I, I guess on society and uh yeah how we're we're so influenced by everything but uh i would give this uh four potato wedges nice are you gonna eat all that oh <laughs> well you know according to this teacher no but i absolutely i need more than four <laughs> <laughs> well yeah uh, you watch watch that movie then watch the uh, yeah, driveway dolls which is only an hour and 24 minutes just as a bit of a palate cleanse oh, that good. yeah cleanse the palate yeah yeah um <laughs> Cat and I like uh, we're we've run out of uh, TV shows to to watch. Oh, no, we, we got all the uh, streaming services going. No, we've seen that. We've seen that. We've seen that. We're just running out of, of oh, TV no, shows. Oh no, that's the worst. So so we're um uh, we we started watching. We watched a movie uh, the other day um uh, which had uh, Jason Sudeikis and um oh what uh, um, I'm blanking on a name. Oh my goodness. Um uh, I've got to. See if I can find this movie, uh, SAD. Um, I'm trying to think what movies he's been in recently. Well, because he's, he's mainly been in uh, um, uh, Ted Lasso. So. Oh, that's right. He's been busy with Ted Lasso. Yeah. Yes, of course. He's been busy with yeah. that role. Um, I'm really not. Uh, I'm just. I was trying to. Oh, there we go. Ted Lasso. Right, Jason. I was trying to figure out how to spell Sudeikis. Because <laughs> Jason, I could get that. That's fine. That's good. Yeah, but, but the Sudeikis. Uh, Sudeikis part part of things was a bit a little bit harder. Um, okay, so what was the? Because uh, it wasn't a new movie that he was in. Ah. Uh, it was. It was kind of a uh, an older an older film. Um, oh, where are we? Where are we? My goodness, it's. It's a really must be a really old film. What, mm, I was going to say, oh, maybe I've seen it. What's it about? But that's Sleeping what we're getting with to. with other people. It was from oh, 2015. Oh, that is an old see, film. See, it's like you go, that, that, I must admit for streaming, that is one of the good things for streaming is like you just go, oh, I, I don't think I've seen this film. Or I might have seen it, but I've forgotten it. So we'll just watch it again. So, um, yeah, Sleep With Other People, which is not a new film. It's uh, what, almost nine, nine years old now. Wow. Um, the, uh, the, the film stars uh, Jason Sudeikis and Alison Brie, uh, and they are uh, two people who, when they met in college, were both virgins. Mm-hmm. They lost their virginity to, virginity to each other, and then they lost contact. And then mm-hmm. when they're uh, you know, in their, their 40s, they rediscover each other, and they become really good friends. But they're not you know, sleeping together, um, but they should be because they're, they'd be great together, but they're not because that's uh, uh. how their, their relationship works. They don't want to ruin their relationship, that kind of thing. Um, it's not as – I thought with Jason Sudeikis and Alison Brie, it was going to be like balls to the wall kind of funny. Mm-hmm. But it's not massively funny, but it was still like entertaining and a, and a good watch. Um, so I'm just throwing it out there um, in case anyone is looking for something to see. That one is on uh, Netflix. So if you want to um, catch a uh, a bit of a, a, a rom-com with some – with some yes, funny people. Why not? You can give that one a give that one a crack. So sleeping with other people. Excellent. I'll give that um uh three and a half um 
uh, dancey things. I think, well, she does this, she's, she's on uh, some sort of drug at one point. She does this sexy dance in front of kids. That's it's old. weird. Oh, that's not good. It's weird, but it wasn't inappropriate. So that's okay. It's, it's, it's fine. But uh, I think uh, we should go to a, uh, another ad and then we shall come back and talk about the big one of the week, Dune Part 2. And we're back. Uh, you are on Radio Fremont 107.9 FM, the top station on your dial with Lewis and Cecilia. Rachel is not in the chair with us this evening, but she will be back again next week. Uh, and we've uh, we've just um, uh, spoken then about Club Zero. And uh, now we're going to get into uh, the meat and two potatoes uh, of, uh, I think, I believe this is the uh, the sequel to uh, Wonka. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, 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 my, my, my bad. No, no. Um, I mean, somehow you could possibly link them. <laughs> well, T- Timothy Chalamet was in Wonka last year, and that was that was pretty darn good. So, uh, but this is, of course, a sequel to Dune Part One. I don't know if it was called Part One at the time, but it is now. Yeah, I think it was just Dune, 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 Dune wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, which I remember being very long, quite slow, but really setting the story up. Uh, but I have not seen part two, so you are the expert in all things Dune. Well, okay, so the thing I've got to be uh, honest with uh, up front um, is when I saw Dune part one, um, it's kind of it's kind of weird. It's like, you know, there's this other film called Star Wars and the very first Star Wars was called Star Wars and then they made a sequel to Star Wars and that became, uh, they called the first one Star Wars A New Hope and then the second one was mm. Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. Um, and so it's like with this Dune film, uh, they were just like, oh, well, it might not work out so we'll just, uh, you know, call that one Dune and if that works out then we'll put the part one in front of it. Um, but uh, I'm being ironic again because <laughs> Dune the book actually was very influential on Star Wars and when you're watch the movies uh you'll just go hang on tick there's there's spice and there's an emperor and, mm. and there's these magical people with powers they can tell people what to do and the people will do it and so the, there are a lot of similarities and george lucas did admit eventually that he was very influenced by uh dune in the in the writing of star wars but um so the the thing i gotta admit is the first dune film which i saw it with you and with cat um and i i don't know what's it was a hard day for me obviously um and it's a long film and so i was nodding in and out mm-hmm. uh, and i didn't see all of the film i must admit i did not see all of dune because i was asleep for a lot of it uh and then uh but i did rewatched Dune uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago with Kat and I watched the whole thing I was going yeah yeah no, it was a good film it is still slow it yeah. is, and but you're right about they're going here are the characters they're going here are the characters and they're introducing all those characters um, happens that at the end of the first film they kill most of the characters <laughs> but you know a couple escape and make it to the, the, to the next film um, but it, it does set up the world uh, it does go okay here's your, your good guys mm-hmm. here's your bad guys um, and, you know, there, there's, there's going to be a, a battle at some point mm-hmm. in time, but not in this first film. So when you see a trailer for the second film, I think, like, they introduce things like these sandworms and that kind of stuff, and you're going, oh, okay, this is this is going to be good, and then but they never really realise any of that stuff in the first film. As you said, it's all world-building, it's all character development, it's all that, that kind of stuff. The second film, they really get into the, um, you know, the, 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 the crux of the story, mm. um, and you get to see um, the, the character that is played by, by Timothy Chalamet, Paul Atreides, although he does get uh, several other names uh, during June 2. Um, 
you get to see him and you get to see uh, his mother, who is Jessica, played by Rebecca Ferguson. Uh, they are now living with the uh, are they the sand people. I'm not sure. They they do live in the sand. Mm. So, um, That's fair. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I, I'm not a, a June person, so I, I'm not going to use their, their real names because I'll probably mispronounce them and offend uh, people who are, f- are fans of June. Um but uh, yeah, they they get adopted by these people and not killed because uh, generally they're going to kill people uh, because they don't trust outsiders. Um, but it was interesting. Do you, did you ever watch Tank Girl? Um, I did. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember how Tank Girl was set in a post apocalyptic? Obviously, this yeah. isn't a post apocalyptic world. But Tank Girl was set in a post apocalyptic world where water was very scarce, mm-hmm. and one of the villains had this uh, like uh, weapon where he could just like stab a person with the thing, and it takes all the moisture out of their body yeah. and it turns it into water. Yeah. Well, in June two, uh, like the, the sand people, they like if they kill someone, they take all their their water away as well. I was going. Oh, okay. This guy, this this author seems to draw a few. Well, no, no, because June was um, written in the. Oh, it would have been well before 60s. Tank Girl then. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I'm not wondering if Tank, Tank Girl, Girl was influenced mm. by, by June. Potentially. Uh, but again, I have not read the books. There's a lot of June books. Uh, and I haven't read any of them. So it could be in there. It could be something that the uh, director thought was cool. I do not know. But uh, anyway, so. Paul is there. He's learning their ways. Um, he's he's learning to ride the sandworms, which is which is really cool. Uh, and uh, I'm just going, it, that's amazing because they kind of like you know leap on the back and they have these things that they can work out how to steer them. And go, that's great. How do you stop? Mm. Like, because yeah. <laughs> there's points in the film where there's like traveling, lots of bunch of people traveling on the back of these worms, and like. Do they just jump off and just hope for the best? I, I guess just, are they quite slow though, aren't they? The worms, hell yeah. no! These things go are like they the clappers. Oh. They're fast worms, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, the the whole thing it builds up. So you see the uh, the the, the sand people and what's left of um, you know the people that Paul and his mum are a part of because the rest of their their people have been killed and wiped mm. out. Um, you find out in the uh, in this movie um, why they're wiped out when you meet the emperor played by Christopher Walken. Um, and uh, his daughter, Princess Arulan, played by Florence Pugh. Aye. Um, and uh, so you get to, to meet them. And then you got the, like, the, these the bad guy kind of race uh, where there are all these like baldies on a planet, which is uh, always in this monochrome black and white kind of uh, feel. Um, and uh, like uh, Dave Bautista is one of them. Uh, Austin Butler's introduced in this film as like oh. this psychotic kind of guy. And I was like, Does he still sound like Elvis? No. Oh, no. good. He was, I was just like going, who is this guy? Because he was like bald and no eyebrows and just like looked really psychotic. I was going, mm. oh, who is this guy? It was like, yeah, um, uh, but really great. Great performance. Fantastic. Uh, Javier Bardem uh, is back as Stilgar. He's one of the sand people who um, – the the – they introduce this in the first film, the whole chosen one. Yes. He's not the Messiah, he's a very naughty boy kind of thing uh, with everyone thinking that uh, that Paul is the, the the kind of Messiah and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, his mum uh, is part of the, the race of uh, witches or whatever they are that can you know use the voice to tell people what to do. And... In the first film, you know, you're going, are these people good or are they bad? Is she good or bad? And I think as you watch this film, you kind of like go, I think she's bad. Ah. <laughs> um, but the, the, the film is, uh, is interesting because where you start the film, you're, you're thinking that, you know, Paul and his mum and all that sort of stuff is, 
um, they're good kind of people, but like when you get to the end of the film, maybe that's not how you feel about them. And it's a very interesting uh, way of looking at society and uh, power. So I was like, as I said, didn't like the first Dune that much. Like I, I enjoyed it more the second time I watched it, but I wouldn't yep. say I'm a fan of that first film. Mm-hmm. But this second film is is epic and the pacing is better. So the two hours and 40 plus minutes you're watching it don't feel like you're slogging through it. Nice. Um, you, you've set up the world in that first film, so now they can kind of hit the ground running. And there's more you know, epic battle scenes and there's more sandworms. Um, and it's just uh, it's building up to kind of like a, a crescendo because I believe there's going to be like three parts. And, and so I'm really interested now and really invested in what happens in that third part. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Kat... Um, didn't come to see this this film with me on Tuesday night because uh, we've got a new puppy and uh, so we just thought it was best for one of us to be home uh, with the new puppy to make sure the old puppy doesn't eat it. Um, and uh, they're, they're getting along fine now. They're great. Um, but, uh, yeah, so she didn't see it then, but we have booked in to see it again on Saturday. So oh, wow. I'm actually going to see this twice in one week because if it was terrible, I'd be like, no, nah, go, go by yourself. I was going to say, <laughs> you, you wouldn't go and see it again. You would just say wait for it to come out or go watch it by yourself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so obviously, you know, that that's a good hint that it's a good film. Yeah, I mm. think that there's not uh, enough in there to definitely warrant like a, mm-hmm. a, a second viewing. And I uh, was speaking with uh, Arda's uh, husband, Giorgio, uh, before the show, and, and he was saying like, yeah, I think like before you see the second, uh, Doom Part 2, you should see the first one again. Yeah. Because there's just so much that's happening in that film that you, you if you go into the second one, you might be kind of lost on a, yeah. a few points. refresh your mind a little. Mm, mm. But yeah, it's it's interesting. I, 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 it's kind of like one of those films where you, you want to have everyone see it and then just you know talk about what you've just seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a very uh, interesting, uh, very interesting film, uh, and just oh, uh, it just like the when the visuals and mm-hmm. and and the the the, uh, the score to it and and every and the fact that he's got a different color palette for the different planets yeah is just very creative yeah 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 i remember the the original film um not a lot but i remember the the sand people and and the worms yeah. um I, I have to go back and rewatch that but that's part 1 or the or the very no, first the, one the, the very David Lynch? original Dune film, yep. so not the, the um, was it released back in the 70s, 78? Oh. Uh, I could be very wrong, but I remember my dad watching it, and I just remember I was at such a young age, it didn't interest me, but I remember the worms. It was or 1984. 84, there was like a big slug guy. Um, so yeah, but no, I it's it's not a review I thought I'd hear based on the first film, and you know, obviously, it being quite slow but yeah i think it definitely needs a rewatch before you go back because i've completely forgotten what happens in the first one to be honest so (laughs) i think that i would need to go back and watch that and then watch yeah the second one yeah but i'm i'm very much interested in seeing it based on your review now yeah no i think it's a it's a great film and i think like when uh, the third one comes out you can see them as a a set because i think it's only gonna be like three films Um, there's no George Lucas to go. Let's go and prequel this thing. Um, yeah, I, I think it was. A, it, it's a really interesting kind of 
kind of world. And it's a uh, as a Star Wars fan, like mm. you're sitting there just going, "Oh, I can." You know, it's it's kind of like a snake eating its own tail kind of yeah. thing because you got Dune that influenced Star Wars, but then the Star Wars movie influenced the director of Dune. So yeah. you can see see some like you know. Uh, parallels in there and you can see some homages to yeah and so you wonder which is an homage and which is stuff he's lifted for the book and but uh, if there's somebody out there who who's like an aficionado of the books and the, the star wars movies and can you know t- point out to me all of the similarities just uh yeah go ahead that'll be interesting that would be a very interesting deep dive into the kind of pastiche of it all but you'd have to have a very dedicated fan uh, but they, they, that'd be out there That'd yeah. be out there. Just oh, like, definitely. you know, you're a fan of Star Wars, there's got to be Dune fans. But, yeah, I'd love someone to shed some light on, on those, um, yeah. I wonder, I wonder if, like, it's like Dune fans and, uh, like, in wrestling where you got had, you know, WWE fans and then AEW fans. Maybe. And they're like, they're, oh, your, yours is not yours good. Is Mine's better. good. Yours isn't good. <laughs> um, yeah, so it'd be interesting. But uh, we should go to our last ad and then come back. And what was the last one we had to talk about? Uh, four Daughters. Four Daughters. Four Daughters. Excellent. I look forward to hearing about it soon. Oh, Tunisian. Sorry, I was just getting the pronunciation for Tunisian because it's a part of my review. Oh, so, <laughs> I thought I'd do that off air because I'm terrible with words. Now, this, this Four Daughters uh, is probably not the uh, Four Daughters from 1938. No. Uh, where a musician is blessed with four musical prodigies, all girls, and cast when troubled young uh, composer enters the lives of his four daughters. It's not that movie? It is not that film, no, okay, nor, nor a remake. But uh, this is a documentary and... The film is based, so for context, uh, there's two young girls, um, Gofreen and Rama, who left their family in 2015 to join um, Daesh, or aka the Islamic State. So they were young girls who were kind of somewhat coerced into joining a not so good thing, uh, and they left their home and basically disappeared, essentially. So this documentary is about that. But what they do in this documentary, so you've got uh, Tunisian filmmaker uh, Koetha Ben-Hania. He decided that he didn't want a traditional type documentary where he just tells the story of these two young women. He wanted to create a real-life, acted-out interpretation of it. So he actually gets the mother... Um, and then the two daughters that remain plus two actors to come in and basically um, act out interpretations of reality that kind of challenge the viewer into understanding why these girls mm-hmm. may have done what they did. So I don't know, does that make sense? So two, so, two, I, two of the daughters are her actual daughters mm-hmm. and two are uh, Actors playing her eldest daughters. So are they reenacting scenes? Is that like you know, no? They're right? not actually reenacting they're the scenes. Scene. They're just having conversation. Oh, right. Okay. It's just conversation back and forth. So the two young daughters who were there, and and the mother, of course, um, Alpha is the mother. Um, she is there as well as her two younger daughters, and they just begin to have conversations about how. They notice the changes in their sisters and, you know, at one point they would dress normally and then they were wearing 
covered from head to toe. Mm. So they were just having more conversation about it. So it's not a straightforward documentary in which you learn about uh, how the two sisters left their family and enjo- um, joined the Islamic State because there's still a lot unknown about how that happened. They're not quite sure, you know, where the influence came from. I th- it was a combination of different things. So this is just more or less, um, yeah, it, it, they sit down, they pretend to eat their favourite meals, they have a conversation, but we gradually learn some, but not all, of kind of the circumstances surrounding um, the disappearance or the departure of Mm -hmm. the two girls who were 16 and 15 when they first left. And they made headlines for it as well because, you know, the mum was very, you know, please, you know, bring back my girls. Uh, And, you know, they were in this kind of movement that rose up and, yeah, and then there's some stuff to do with their father as well. So Did they come come back or are they still? No, they're still gone. They're still gone? Yeah, they're still gone. I believe one was jailed. So that's why they got the actors in because obviously they yeah. couldn't bring the girls in because the girls are not nowhere to be seen. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in some of the scenes, the mum. Ah, of... so that's that's why there's four daughters. So there's the two actual daughters, and then there's the two daughters playing the daughter. That, that makes sense. Yeah. So you've got Alpha, who is the mum, and she kind of plays. Um, so, so the mum plays herself in mm-hmm. some of it, and then some of it there's an actor that plays her when it's two hard to talk about. Right, okay. Um, so, yeah, it's the two younger... So, there's four daughters, but there's two young daughters, so ah, real daughters. Right, there's two real daughters. Two real right, daughters, okay. yep. Um, so, they kind of try and recreate... Yeah, it's more of a... They're not recreating it or trying... They're just more having a conversation about the thoughts and feelings Yeah, because you couldn't have those daughters there because they're... Exactly. They're They've disappeared. Seen, so um, so I th- they're proxy daughters, Pretty basically. much, yeah. Yeah, right. yep, yep. So, it's, it's just the way that the film is... For me, it was a bit of a tough one to watch, mainly because I didn't know the story of the two girls. So when I was watching this, I had to kind of do a bit of research to figure out what I was watching. So unless you really know the context behind the film, then it can be a bit hard to follow. However, I like the idea of making a film that's that's not conventional, like this is not your conventional storytelling off a film so yeah and you can see that you've got the two real daughters plus the mum who are still really suffering from that trauma and separation of their sisters who you know were good girls and joined this you know islamic state and disappeared at such young ages so you know and then all for the mum kind of spends time you know expressing remorse for certain things like there were times where she beat her daughters and you know said things that weren't you know quite nice so she kind of spends time it's like a therapy session almost if that makes sense Mm -hmm. they're sitting down talking um so it kind of leaves you wondering how much of what you're seeing is actual family history versus how much of it's kind of manipulated or exaggerated. But, you know, nonetheless, it is still kind of a interesting exploration. I've used interesting quite <laughs> a lot tonight. Um, it, it is a – I like – it's kind of a reconstruction mm-hmm. of this whole event, but you don't necessarily learn anything about the event or how – and what happens to the girls. It's just more the family and how they feel and their thoughts and feelings about it. But, yeah, it's just fascinating to see two actors sit in place of the two sisters who have gone 
with the real sisters and the real mother and to have that conversation. So it's kind of this non-fiction storytelling that, yeah, looks at um, maybe the trauma that sits with that family mm, more than mm. anything. So not really the history of it and how it happened, but the trauma now, um, the anger they feel and, you know, the two younger sisters kind of how they process that anger and, you know, understanding of what their sisters have done. So, yeah, it's a it's a quite a it, – it's for film – it's a good film. Uh, if you like filmmaking and you like things that are not conventional, that are not done traditional, this is definitely a film for you. You might just need to go back and do a little bit of research on the context of the story to for it to be more fulfilling, if that yeah. – yeah. For me, I had to quickly go and go, all right, who are these sisters? Okay, two sisters did bad things. Right, now I can watch the film with a bit more understanding. So. It's, it's an interesting, like, thing as well to – you know, you, you know about like bad people who've done bad mm-hmm. things, but you very rarely when you see their stories do you see it from the perspective of their family members. Yeah. Like generally people when they do bad stuff, the family members just like duck and cover and try to not yeah. be anywhere don't involve associated me. <laughs> with that person because you don't want to be associated with someone who's done some really bad stuff. Yes. So it's interesting that they're, they're actually coming out and, and you know, exploring you know, how this happened and what mm. they could have done to maybe not have it happen. Yeah. So, because people aren't born bad generally. They're, mm. they're kind of like, you know, have influences that turn them that way. Yeah. Well, they kind of mentioned bits and pieces that they, they noticed those changes over time and, you know, th- there was, you know, someone that they met on the street and then all of a sudden they were different and mm. how their dad's um, behaviour comes into play. So there's, yeah, there's so many different aspects to this and, yeah, it's just fascinating to see it from the, the perspective of the family mm. rather than the, um, the girls who have actually no input into this film whatsoever. We don't really even know where they are. Um, they're out there somewhere. So, uh, yeah, fascinating to watch. It's called Four Daughters. Uh, yeah, if you like filmmaking, then this is definitely worth a watch. Uh, and even the aesthetic of it is quite um, f- wonderful. It's quite a dark film with, you know, red undertones mm. and, and whatnot. But uh, I would give this a four... Um, oh gosh. Four, four tears. That's sad, isn't it? Yeah, that is, that's, that is sad. That's sad. But look, it, it, it's a, you know, based on a true story, yeah. this thing happened and, uh, yeah, I, yeah, it's definitely worth a watch. Oh, excellent, excellent. Look, um, we've got a few minutes left of the show. Uh, last week I rev- uh, gave a bit of a review of a TV show on uh, Netflix called Obliterated. Uh-huh. Um, and it's a, a story about a, a group of spies who go to Las Vegas. They stop a guy with a, a, a bomb he's trying to sell that's going to blow up Las Vegas. Oh. And they get uh, they go, go, oh, this is awesome, let's celebrate. And then they get, like, trashed and they're just, like, taking drugs and there's sex involved. And, like, the, the film is not safe for work, uh, not for kids. Uh, this is, like, adults, watch it you know, on your own. Don't uh, uh, have your kids there because it is very rude. Uh, I did say last week that uh, there is, um, I think it's like eight episodes uh, and it was a bit draggy, but uh, those, uh, I hadn't seen the end of it uh, last week and so I saw the last two episodes after the show and it really does wrap up well. So okay. um, I, I, I must admit, uh, yeah, if you are looking for something fun and rude and stuff like that to watch, uh, give Obliterated a shot. Maybe don't like, 
you know, um, binge it like I did. Maybe just like have it, uh, you know, uh, one episode uh, a night or a week mm-hmm. or, or whatever and just like stretch it out. I think that was a problem. I think I was just trying to watch it too quickly and, and get it over and done with. I don't know why. I should have just like enjoyed enjoyed the ride. But I think sometimes it's like, oh, you just want to keep watching too. So it's always hard. You're like, oh, I wish I – and then you, you finish it and you go, oh, I wish I enjoyed and savoured that a little more. But um, we all do it. Yes, that is very, very true. But uh, we are coming up to the uh, the end of the show. Uh, I have no idea what we're reviewing next week, but whatever it is, I'm sure it'll be great. So uh, we will be back again next Thursday. See you then. See you then. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by the Gentlemen of Pop Culture.